kindness. I think he did what he did because of his kindness. I think he was kind to everybody. And that, that transitioned to party lines. And I think he was able to accomplish so much because he truly was a kind person. It wasn't kindness because he wanted a colleague to sign on to his bill or vote for his legislation. He truly cared about the individuals on the Senate floor and his colleagues. Um, and I think that kindness was not um, a bad word in the Senate when he was there. I mean, he, because he truly cared, people were willing to support him even if they didn't agree with him. Oh, he's a true hero, a true uh, man of valor and honor. Uh, one who, in the midst of, uh, I would think, great controversy, he was the man of integrity, stepped up, made the decision, this is injustice, that needs to be righted. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure it is. So, a true hero. An important leadership lesson Senator Mark Hatfield demonstrated to his staff and others was the value of relationships. Throughout our interviews, people shared stories of times the senator would engage in vigorous debate with a colleague on the Senate floor and then turn around and have lunch with them in the cafeteria or work with them on shared legislation. I'm Kevin Curry. July 12, 2022 would have been the senator's 100th birthday. So this season, we revisit the moment of Mark Hatfield's 30-year career in the United States Senate. Our guides are the voices and memories of those who worked closely with him and observed his leadership. In this third episode, we revisit the importance Senator Hatfield placed on developing and maintaining positive relationships, even with people with whom he might occasionally disagree. This value helped the Senator achieve important goals for Oregon, one of those was working with Oregon's tribes on restoration of their tribal recognition by the United States government. This episode of Revisit the Moment is sponsored by the Oregon Historical Society. The Oregon Historical Society is dedicated to making Oregon's long, rich history visible and accessible to all. For more than a century, it has served as the state's collective memory, gathering and preserving a vast collection of artifacts, photographs, films, manuscripts, books, and oral histories. For over two decades, the Oregon Historical Society's Marco Hatfield Lecture Series has earned a reputation for hosting America's most prominent historians, biographers, and public officials. The series began at the suggestion of Senator Hatfield and continues as a tribute to his legacy of public service and as an opportunity to share stories of the people and events that have shaped American history. Learn more about the Oregon Historical Society online at ohs.org. Well, those were the days, uh, or at least in our particular relationship, when uh, there was no partisanship. Uh, uh, his staff and my staff were best of friends, and we had great respect for one another and the staffs of, of one another's. J. Bennett Johnston, Jr. represented the state of Louisiana in the U.S. Senate from 1972 to 1997. He was elected six years after Mark Hatfield and retired the same year as the senator. Although a member of the Democratic Party, Johnston and Hatfield developed a collegial relationship as members of the Senate Appropriations Committee. You know, being chairman was not uh, like being the dictator. It was like... Uh, being the head partner who might preside at the uh, at the meeting of the committee, 
But uh, the result was one that was cooperatively arrived at between the chairman and the ranking minority member. So that uh, uh, when we lost the majority and uh, Mark became chairman, I was never concerned that my effect on policy would be uh, diluted to the point where I wouldn't uh, have any influence because I knew that Mark would entertain any idea that I had and vice versa. I don't think uh, I don't think I ever said no to any real request that he had, uh, nor vice versa, because our, our our relationship was such that we didn't make a request that was not proper, and that would embarrass the the chairman, and uh, so it, it was that kind of relationship. I uh, I guess there are some. Uh, relationships like that uh, left in the Congress, but not many, and ours was certainly a, a, a very good one. Senator Pete Domenici, a Republican representing New Mexico, joined the U.S. Senate the same year as Senator Johnston. In 1983, he earned appointment to the Appropriations Committee, where he served with both Hatfield and Johnston. Senator Domenici died in September of 2017. He didn't. He didn't understand this idea of partisanship uh, being sacred and you had to fight over everything. He thought we were, we were there to, to get things done and that he was there without any question to get things done. And his getting things done was at least twofold. He wanted to get things done for his great state and my oh my did he get them things done for them. But secondly, he in the big, big issues of the day, he was a very independent Senate. The other thing that Mark Hatfield was, he was a very social, social senator, not parties, not a bunch of parties and drinking and social in the sense that he, he senators and he were friends. I was a friend, not just a senator with him. Uh, by that I mean uh, Mark wouldn't dare go to the floor uh, with an amendment on something that I was interested in without calling up and talking about it. Uh, Mark wouldn't think of uh, uh, of introducing, of, of getting ready as some controversial amendment to a bill of mine uh, and cause friction. He would get have us get together and talk about it and see what we could do. Uh, and so, so he was a living, breathing, uh, man of integrity that somehow or another was just gifted, gifted with uh, being able to get along with senators from both parties, did not seem to see the difference between the two. Senator Daniel Inouye of Hawaii and Senator Mark Hatfield shared many things in common. Both had served in World War II, where Inouye was highly decorated, including winning the Medal of Honor. They served together on the Senate Indian Affairs Committee, as well as the Senate Appropriations Committee. The one thing they didn't share was party affiliation, but that hardly stood in the way of their friendship and mutual respect. We had the opportunity to interview Inouye when he was chairman of the Appropriations Committee, sitting down with him in the ornate Appropriations Committee hearing room. He died in December of 2012. He was a man who was chairman of this committee, Appropriations Committee, supposed to be the most powerful committee on the Senate side, at least. 
But he never flexed his muscle. He didn't have to. He was, he was unusual in the sense that you expected senators to be in three-piece suits, black, uh, no smile. If you look at all the statues, they look like grim reapers or something like that. But he was a fellow who was friendly, a gentleman of the highest order, and uh, well-respected. And I liked one feature about him. He did not really believe in partisanship. He had just as many Democratic friends as Republican friends. In fact, uh, in the 90 election, I made some tapes for him and I contributed to his campaign and we're different parties. You know, I did so violating our so-called rules. <laughs> Sean O'Halloran started with Senator Hatfield's staff as an intern in 1984. And after a six-month stint with the Senate Commerce Committee, he returned to Hatfield's office for a second internship. At that time, he often found himself as the senator's driver, a role he relished for the time he was able to spend with Hatfield. After four years on Hatfield's staff, he transitioned to become staff for the Appropriations Committee, where he got to know Senator Inouye and his staff. But when, when Senator Hatfield was in his last campaign, um, I think uh, his bipartisan connections were so strong um, that Senator Inouye of Hawaii actually cut a TV ad uh, for him, which really upset the Democratic establishment. Um, but Senator Inouye didn't care. Um, the, the nature of the Appropriations Committee was such that you really did work both sides. Um, Senator Inouye wanted to do something to help. He, at the time, chaired the Defense Appropriations Committee. Um, basically, when I was dealing on appropriations with all of the uh, Inouye staff, they all had little Hatfield buttons on, including Senator Inouye. Um, and when they were asked to take them off because it was a competitive race, I think most of them denied it. Um, and they said, no, nope, look, we're by Hatfield. You know, we want him back. Um, and so he had that kind of ability where people would stick up for him. Nope, I know him. I don't care what, his poli- what, it, what party he is. Uh, I'm for him. I want him around here. And he's the kind of guy we need to keep around. O'Halloran witnessed firsthand the result of one of Senator Hatfield's key values, relationships. I think that uh, Senator Hatfield was well-respected, Republican and Democrat um, alike, um, for being a principled member of the Senate um, and working to get something accomplished based on common interest. And... um, and that he would describe politics as a fundamental exercise in human relations. Uh, He was as nice to the elevator operators and the subway drivers as he was to his fellow senators. Um, And he said, if you treat everyone with dignity, um, you never have anything to worry about. Um, He goes, you know, um, the interns grow up to be chiefs of staff. Um, They probably remember who treated him well and uh, who didn't. Um, he goes, but when you treat everybody well, um, you never have anything to worry about um, going forward. 
Uh, it's only when you have had a dispute with somebody um, and and not done so um, credibly and and uh, um, with integrity um, that you can't go back to them on another issue. And obviously in the Senate, you may disagree and have one drop down, uh, drag out battle with somebody on one issue. And uh, when that issue's gone, uh, you know, the very next day, you may be linked with them um, on common interest on something else. Um, and he believed if you, if you could find a way to disagree respectfully based on principle, um, even if your principle was totally different, um, you would always come back around and be able to work with them on another issue. Mark Vandewater served as deputy staff director for the Senate Appropriations Committee, while Senator Hatfield was the ranking Republican member and chairman. It gave him a firsthand look at how Senator Hatfield worked with fellow senators like Jay Bennett Johnson, Pete Domenici, and Daniel Inouye. His power is derived really from two different, one traditional and one non-traditional source. The traditional source of power was this place, the Appropriations Committee. And so that wields a lot of power. The more non-traditional part was his force of character and the loyalty that his uh, staff and his uh, colleagues here in the Senate and, and in the House as well had for him. So, you know, when in the other the other part of that, a subset of that also is that he never asked for more than he felt was justified. There wasn't an avarice in policymaking, an avarice in appropriations uh, work that that sometimes you hear about today. He was very careful not to uh, overextend himself or do things that he couldn't justify. Um, so when he called you or talked to you and said, listen, I need this to happen, this is gonna happen, um, then people said, okay, not only do I wanna help you, but I know if you're asking, it makes sense. Like many Hatfield staff members, Sue Hildick started as an intern, in her case in the Senator's Portland office. She moved to Washington, D.C. to be a legislative assistant, working on issues around education and health care. By age 26, Hildick was the legislative director for Senator Hatfield, who at the time was the second most powerful Republican in the U.S. Senate. I learned a lot about relationship building. I learned about how uh, people's labels mean the least when you're building a relationship. You know, his... It was, oh, it was always when we were introducing a bill of his, we were, our first thing was to go out and find a Democrat who would join him. And it, we never put a partisan bill in the hopper. We would never have passed anything that was partisan. I mean, in his mindset, you know, let's show everybody this is such a good idea that it will bring people together. And I learned a lot about labels. I learned a lot because people would say to me, well, Mark Hatfield, he's a Republican, therefore X, Y, Z. Well, no. He's not that kind of Republican. You, know, you can't label him um, that way and, and describe him with any integrity. He, you know, the overall thing that he had was incredible relationships with everybody he met. 
and those served him very well, whether the Republicans or the Democrats were in control. And I think he showed all of us every day how to build those relationships. People who interacted with him and were going to be told no or a project was going to be stopped, he, he was able to do that with such grace that people left inspired to have met him and thrilled to have interacted with him, even if they just got their tail handed to him, which happened a lot. He just had a way of communicating and respecting people that brought him a lot of ability to, to navigate D.C. And, and Oregon politics. I think it's just incredibly unique. And, and that's, the, that's the big piece, is learning how to, how to build those relationships. Dave Robertson did a summer internship for Senator Hatfield, which inspired him to eventually return to Washington, D.C. to serve on his staff. In between, he worked as a field representative on Senator Hatfield's 1990 re-election campaign. I I think the main one, the main thing he really stressed to us as staffers, I think, was that um, politics is 90% personal relationships. And those relationships form the basis of anything and everything you could do in politics. And um, if you didn't have those relationships and you had to think about them long term, uh, you just weren't going to be able to get stuff done for people. And so I think that translates pretty well to life in general. And uh, you know, I certainly talk about that with my kids. I talk about that with the people I work with. That, that's something I really learned from him. And that to, that to me, he, he put the time into those relationships and, and he made sure that uh, you know, if he was ever opposing somebody on an issue, he was always able to, you know, even if he won that issue, able to sort of pick them up and dust them off and put his arm around them and walk out of the room. And that, that to me was a, a, great, a great lesson and something I, I'll always cherish that I learned from him. Jenna Dorn learned from a friend on Senator Hatfield's staff that there was an opening for a legislative assistant. Although she had a master's degree in public administration, she considered herself really green in terms of practical experience. The senator's office in Washington, D.C. provided it. Uh, I think it, it, a part of it came from his genuineness. Uh, people respected that. They knew that he was a man of his word. Um, and he, and I, th- I think that, that, w- that was the source of it. And he was, he was also a very compassionate personally. It was, I'm sure many people have told you that for him it was, it was all about relationships. And, you know, when you talk about his legislative accomplishments, the Oregon box score was, you know, out of the park. I mean, the Oregon legislative box score, box score was superb. And he was on the right committees to deliver, the Appropriations Committee, the Energy and Natural Resources Committee. So whether it was wilderness regisl- legislation or power or water power or projects that were important to Oregon that he could achieve through the Appropriations Committee, he, he, he really produced. For the other areas that were generic policy sort of things that many um, uh, box scores of legislation are counted, uh, he knew that if he didn't have the committee standing behind him, he had to leverage that. Jim Toohey, who we met in episode two and served as legislative director and legal counsel for the senator in the 1980s, said those personal relationships were how the senator measured his success. He had said that to me once. He said, my definition of politics is, is politics is an exercise in human relations. And I think he, he always felt those friendships he forged, whether they were out in the state or on the Senate floor, were really what his political 
the success or, fa or failure would be determined by. And I think that he, he saw that uh, he also enjoyed his job more by having friendships and he could vote against somebody today and be on their side tomorrow on a different issue and that that was the nature of the institution. Bill Calder was a regional correspondent for the Oregonian in the late 80s when he received a call from Jerry Frank, the senator's chief of staff. He wanted to meet with him about joining Senator Hatfield's staff as press secretary, a position he would have for five years. But more often, I think the, the most important thing the senator left me with was I get back to this notion of interpersonal relationships. To this day, he's been right about that. It's how things get done. It's how you, I don't care if it's politics or business or anything else. At the end of the day, it's about those interpersonal relationships. And that's really what he taught me was how to be effective working with people and not being so polarized that you can't compromise. I think that's really the, the most impactful thing that he left with me. After interning with Senator Hatfield during college, Pat Wrighton returned to school to finish his degree. Plans were made for law school, but a phone call from the senator inviting him back to be a staff member changed the course of his life. The senator had as a rule, regardless of how, regardless of whether somebody deserved it, not to tear them down in public. Uh, he may have been 180 degrees uh, opposed uh, to a policy somebody was advocating, but always believed they had the, uh, should have the leeway to express it. And if somebody, frankly, was being a real jerk, you know, he was a tough guy. Uh, and he'd be perfectly happy to tell them to their face, but not in front of the cameras and not in front of microphones. Uh, he just thought that was disrespectful. Chris Meyer started with Senator Hatfield as an intern, which led to a position as receptionist in 1991. She soon moved into doing casework, helping Oregonians navigate the federal government. She recalls how the senator's example of kindness and personal relationships taught his staff to value the same approach. I think kindness, I think he did what he did because of his kindness. I think he was kind to everybody, and that, that transitioned to party lines. And I think he was able to accomplish so much because he truly was a kind person. It wasn't kindness because he wanted a colleague to sign on to his bill or vote for his legislation. He truly cared about the individuals on the Senate floor and his colleagues. Um, and I think that kindness was not... Um, a bad word in the Senate when he was there. I mean, he, because he truly cared, people were willing to support him even if they didn't agree with him. But I think also because of his staff and the way, because of him and how he treated everybody, again, from the elevator operator to the person who answered the phones, his staff treated people that way with respect as well. And you've got agency directors who are yelled at, who are screamed at by congressional staff saying, you will get this done and you will get this done now. And Senator Hatfield, through his staff, and because he taught us that you are civil to everyone, um, had a way of working together with the agencies in order to get something done. And if they needed something from us, we would help them get it to get their jobs done. And I think you saw that with um, his work with the veterans and with, especially with immigration. I mean, he sent staff people over to the immigration office on 511 Northwest Broadway to help sort through records. I mean, no other congressperson was going to do that. Um, and I think they respected that and respected his staff. Doug Paul served on Senator Hatfield's staff from 1990 until the senator retired in January 1997. 
but like many, his first work for the senator was as an intern in 1986. He admired how the senator used his position and his relationships to solve problems. And uh, some, somebody said about him once, and I don't remember who it was, but he said he, he lashes himself to the front, to the bow of problem, and he doesn't ski in the wake behind the problem. And I, I always liked that. Because that's right. I mean, he would go out and he would look for problems. How he wanted to serve, uh, and I think the f- the focus that he had was how can I use my position to bring together people who have disagreements um, to make constructive changes in policy. And I think he's always looking for things uh, that make an make a positive have a positive impact in people's lives. Working with Oregon's tribes to achieve restoration of their tribal status is a specific example of Senator Hatfield's values. It demonstrates his commitment to all Oregonians, and the success relied on relationships he had developed and maintained with leaders in Oregon and in Washington, D.C. Cheryl Kennedy is chairwoman of the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde. Senator Hatfield's work on restoration for Oregon's tribes places him in an honored position with them. Oh, he's a true hero, a true uh, man of valor and honor. Uh, one who, in the midst of, uh, I would think, great controversy, he was the man of integrity, stepped up, made the decision, this is injustice, that needs to be righted. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure it is. So, a true hero. Kathleen Tom, who served on the Tribal Council of the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde, describes how her father, Chips Tom, spoke highly of Senator Hatfield's involvement with the tribe's restoration. My dad said he was a man of integrity, a great leader amongst his people, um, a great leader in Oregon, and also fighting for Oregon. Um, What better person to represent Oregon than Mark Hatfield? Um, He was just a giant among men. Uh, you know, he was a man of peace. Um, he didn't believe in wars. He didn't believe in, in um, fighting. Um, and I think he saw that tribal people had been fighting for a long time and to write this justice. So um, he was a great leader. And that's how my father describes him. Dolores Pigsley is chair of the Tribal Council of the Confederated Tribes of Siletz Indians. She credits the senator with helping the Siletz tribe become the first in Oregon and just the second in the nation to earn restoration in 1977. We could not have uh, gained restoration without Senator Hatfield. Um, We had to convince not only the senator, but all of his colleagues, the Senate Indian Affairs Committee, the people who were in power to make something happen. Uh, We had to convince the House of Representatives. That was the most difficult part of restoration was um, in the House because the the House representatives are a little more vulnerable to elections and the things that go into campaigns. But he believed us and he took up our cause as he did with the rest, the other four Oregon tribes and supported us. The late Congresswoman Elizabeth First worked closely with Senator Hatfield on tribal restoration, both before she was elected to Congress and after. Um, many people don't realize that from the, the 
the chairmanship of the Indian Affairs Committee and the Senate, which was a very powerful committee for Indian people. Um, it switched back and forward as, as the Senate switched back between Senator Noe of Hawaii and Senator Hatfield. Different parties reached across the aisle, knew that they were working for Indian people and for what was right. He didn't take the limelight. They just worked quietly together and got the stuff done. And uh, you know, that the Senate is a place where a lot of people grandstand. At the House, of course, we're all, we're all totally modest, but. <laughs> in the Senate, there is this grandstanding. And yeah, Mark Hatfield didn't have to because people knew and respected him and knew that they couldn't bring up some poll that would change his mind. Yes, he listened to his constituents, of course he did, but people just respected him. Just, it, I would say people revered him and do today. His integrity is just amazing. Um, particularly, I worked later with uh, Indian tribes. We were trying, I was with uh, Legal Services, we were trying to reverse a terrible federal policy of termination. Indian tribes, particularly in Oregon, were terminated. Uh, that ended their federal relationship. Um, when we began, when First of all, he worked on the second uh, Restoration Act in the country, which was the Siletz tribe. And then I was hired by legal services to try and see if we could get other tribes in Oregon uh, restored, that each tribe required an act, act of Congress. Mark Hatfield never hesitated. He was always the prime sponsor in the Senate. And members of Congress, some of them were, were really reluctant to do this, to, to do this. It was to get the Congress to admit it made a mistake. Mark Hatfield never hesitated. And it was that integrity um, that you could always rely on. Dave Robertson believes the tribal restoration work was among the most important accomplishments for Senator Hatfield. He describes why the issue was so important to tribal leaders and to the senator. Yeah, you know, for the tribes, that's for me a real defining um, issue for Mark Hatfield as I came to know him and, and uh, work with him. You know, he really emphasized to us, and I think to his constituents as well, that he was there really working to improve the quality of life for Oregonians and to improve the human condition. And one of the things he saw as he was in that job was that the tribes nationally, uh, the Indian tribes, especially in Oregon, had been mistreated for decades, if not centuries. And so, one of the policies that Congress passed in the 50s was a bill called the Termination Act. And the whole idea was to terminate Indian tribes' existence and have them assimilate into society. Well, I mean, these are cultures built over thousands and thousands of years. Uh, they would say since time immemorial, right? So uh, Hatfield really felt that was a, a very misguided policy uh, and really hurt the tribe's culture and their way of life and their quality of life. So he went about, um, in the, starting in the 1980s, trying to restore tribes' recognition by the federal government and also a land base so that they would have some way of gaining economic self-sufficiency. And so the Grand Ronde tribe, he restored 15,000 acres uh, through legislation. Um, there were four, a couple of treaty tribes in Oregon. The, uh, the Warm Springs and the Umatillas. So they, they had had a land base from a while back, but the other smaller tribes, he, the Salettes, uh, he worked with the Coos, although we never got that, that bill done. Uh, the Coquels down in the Coos Bay area, got them restored and a land base. 
re return to them. So, you know, he really made it a point to try to improve the quality of life for those folks. And that for me, it was huge to see his, his empathy for those uh, people and his ability to, to sort of move through the process back there to, to improve their lives. And they're, they're not a huge constituency. They're not, they're not tons of votes in the tribal community, but just the fact he, he felt that was important enough to, to do something about that. And he, he dedicated decades to making that better. Dolores Pigsley describes the challenges the Siletz tribe faced as the first Oregon tribe seeking restoration. The tribe was always recognized as the Siletz tribe with the coast reservation. That was 1.1 million acres of tribal restoration. And if you think about land from Tillamook all the way down to beyond Florence, it's a huge reservation. And of course, it was a popular reservation. And once settlers started coming into the area, the land was taken by executive order, different pieces of land. And mostly unfairly, and in historical documents today, if the world was just, we could go to court and probably have the whole reservation restored. But it's not that simple. And the Indian Court of Claims was diminished years ago. And so you have to have an act of Congress to allow you to go back and challenge, I, I guess, the right to take the land. So the land was unjustly removed. And as the reservation diminished, um, allotments were given, and allotments were 40-acre allotments. It was called the Allotment Act that also helped to diminish reservations. It meant an Indian individual could get 40 acres of land, and it takes it out of the reservation system. You become a landowner instead of the tribe. So as the land was diminished, Congress looked at tribes that were what they called uh, in mainstream society and came out and interviewed the only two people who went to college and said, these Indians can live and learn just like anybody else. And therefore, they terminated the tribe, us along with several other tribes in the nation. Well, that meant no health benefits, no government programs, um, a lot of things. And the tribe was left with uh, a cemetery. And that was the only land holdings the tribe was left with. However, the government that was the government still met. They still had meetings. They still had discussions and carried on pretty much as a government without being a recognized tribe. So at the time, it was very unpopular. The state of Oregon wasn't coming along with us. It was fought fiercely by um, then the attorney general. And so it was an uphill battle. But he hung in there with the tribe. And whenever we went back there, we got to talk to Senator Hatfield. It wasn't just talking to staffers which pretty much do that now. But it was, he came in and he sat down and wanted to know what was going on in the area and what can I do to help. 
Kathleen Tom recognizes Senator Hatfield's humanity as a reason for his success on tribal restoration and other issues important to Oregonians. I think to be a great, a great leader and a great man, you have to love your people. And because if you don't have the people, you really aren't going to, to be a successful leader. So you could see that in Mark Hatfield. He loved his people. He loved, like I said, right and wrong. Um, and I think he, he loved hearing our story. Our story was very heartfelt for him and, and what we'd gone through. But I think it was just the importance of listening listening and hearing what we had to say. Not that, oh, these Indians, they want to do this and that. It was, you have a story and I'm here to listen to it, and he did. And I think that that's one of these characteristics is that he needed to hear, and then he would make his decision whether it was right or wrong, but he always took right. Um, As far as um, working together, I think he could work with anybody. He worked across the aisles all the time uh, in his career, and he's noted for that. Um, and he, he was, um, when it was very hard, when we were trying to get our reservation, uh, a, a small reservation act um, moved forward. He was paramount in that. We had to convince all of the timber industry that, hey, we're not going to, we don't, we're not going to take everything. We just wanted some of our land back. And so that, uh, with the Restoration Act, uh, we got 10,000 acres back. And that was monumental for us because all we had was our, our graveyard where our ancestors were buried. That's all that was left for us. He knew the treaties. He knew what the federal government had done. He knew that we had signed treaties that the government was to provide us with health care, housing, education. And so I think in a small way, he was going to make that big wrong, in a small way, a big right. And so that was, um, he was a hero. Cheryl Kennedy notes the importance of not losing sight of the people who helped them along the way, leaders like Senator Mark Hatfield. Well, I believe that we must always remember. We must always be thankful and a grateful people for those who helped us along the way. They're our heroes. They were meant by our creator to help us. Uh, And we can't forget that. I believe that if we ever get to the state of not remembering, then we set ourselves up for tremendous failures. So every restoration, we mention those who helped us along the way, the friends, and that's how we do our part in to instill upon the younger folks that these people are important and you need to um, believe in people You need to always remember that there's a supreme being who is there to help you. You need to ask and folks will be sent your way. And especially, we I believe we need to remain humble people who know our rights, who know that if we let things happen, bad things will happen as well as good things. So we need to guard ourselves. And I believe that in Mark Hatfield's there are the various memorials as this building that's set up that represents his interests and honors him in that way. And we need to be honorable people and remember those people who helped us. One of the things that I think about is that if all of the treaties and the promises that were made were honored, the whole United States would benefit because the United States would become the honorable nation 
that others view the United States as, that still needs to be afforded to the first Americans. The late Sue Schaefer was instrumental in getting recognition for the Cow Creek Band of the Umpqua Tribe of Indians in 1982. She served as tribal chairwoman from 1983 until 2010. Schaefer said Senator Hatfield's humanity extended to everyone, regardless of their station in life. She died in spring 2017. So you have to have the strength and courage yourself. He had all, all of those things. And just human decency. It did not matter. Anything that I ever observed from the senator never mattered if you were the person that was uh, emptying the waste baskets for the president of the United States. Everyone was treated the same way. Coming up on the next episode of the second season of Revisit the Moment, we look at two areas Senator Hatfield worked on that have tremendous positive impact on Oregonians to this day, yet he may not get the recognition he deserves. I think access to health care was what was important to him, making sure that people could get it and that it was high quality. And research, he thought, really drove the quality of care. So he really wanted OHSU to be a world-class research organization because he thought the care would be better. There's nobody, there's nobody, very, not only in Oregon history, there's no one that, in my mind, uh, eclipses him. And I mean no one, <laughs> including McCall, uh, which is another story. But uh, I, would, I would say nationally, uh, there's virtually no one that did as much either for their state or for the country on the area of environmental protection as Senator Hatfield did. We just haven't told the story well. Revisit the Moment is produced by me, Kevin Curry. Audio production and design is by Matt Tibbs. Our production assistant is Gavin Pottle. We record at Linfield University in the studios of the Linfield Podcast Network. Special thanks to our sponsor, the Oregon Historical Society. Check out the important work they do preserving Oregon's history at ohs.org. This season is dedicated to the memory of Vic Gilliam, whose support for the Gentlemen of the Senate made recording these interviews possible. Remember to subscribe to Revisit the Moment so you don't miss out on any episodes. Be sure to check out our first season where we examined Oregon's historic 1996 U.S. Senate race, the first all-vote-by-mail federal election in United States history. And if you enjoyed our work, give us a rating and a review. <laughs>